Our sermon today is taken from John 7, verse 14 to 24. This is the word of God. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning, when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Thus says the Lord. All right. Thank you, Grace. I got it. Thanks, man. No problem. Uh, guys, we're continuing in the book of John, our series through uh, the book of John, and we are on chapter 7. A quick recap from last week. If you guys remember the beginning of chapter 7, we see Jesus Christ being rejected and mocked by two people. One is by the Pharisees. They wanted to kill him. That's what verse 1 said, and that's what I think verse 17 uh, or 18 said in our passage again. They wanted to kill him. And verse 3 to 5, you see Jesus' own family, his earthly brothers, um, the other children of Joseph and Mary, also mocked him, didn't believe in him, and his claims to be the Redeemer, the Savior in the world who has come to save sinners. And now, here, we see in this passage, Jesus again interacting with these Pharisees that wanted to kill him. And you have to ask the question, why did they all hate Jesus so much? What's the reason behind it? Was well, because Jesus was preaching the gospel, right? And the gospel is something totally opposite to their way of thinking. What Jesus preached undermined what the Pharisees taught, especially when it came to how to view God's laws. See, the Pharisees viewed God's laws as a list of things to obey so that you can get points. And if you get more points, you can get saved. You can get to heaven. You can have a relationship with God. It's a point system. And the gospel, the message Jesus preached, shattered that view of God's laws as being a point system. I'll explain more that later. Um, but to the Pharisees, this shattering of God's laws as a point system to their ears sounded, of course, like heresy. This is not what God taught. Then they wanted to kill Jesus. But yet Jesus stuck to the gospel message. And through this conversation, he reveals a lot of things to us even today. Things, I believe, that are so important for us to hear, especially for the church, because we so often mishandle God's law. It's no secret that Christians and the church has often hurt people. 
And a lot of these hurts have been caused because the church has fallen into or often falls into the classic mistake that the Pharisees made of mishandling God's laws. Now, I think it's important for non-Christians, people who are still exploring the gospel, people who are still trying to find out what is this thing Bible about, what is, who is Jesus about, to get a chance to hear what God's laws is actually about. And if you're here and you've been hurt by the church, or if you know anyone that's been hurt by the church, though this passage may not totally soothe you, I hope at the very least it can give you a category of why it happens so often. Where did it go wrong? And why does it continue to seemingly repeat itself over and over again? And I believe through this dialogue, we will see Jesus' instructions to us of how the church, of how his peoples are actually called to view and handle God's laws. And I hope that as we dive into it, we'll be able to see the heart of God as we look deeper into his laws. So three points for today. One, see beyond the appearance of the teacher. Two, See beyond the appearance of the law. Three, see beyond the appearance of Jesus. See beyond the appearance of the teacher. See beyond the appearance of the law. See beyond the appearance of Jesus. All right, let me pray, then we'll dive into it. Lord, I pray that as we tackle a topic uh, that has uh, been misunderstood and misused and mishandled, which is your law, I pray that you allow our minds to perhaps let go of some presumptions or presuppositions we might have about how the law is meant to be handled, and that we may be able to listen to your words in this passage of how we are to view God's law, and how, therefore, this law is meant to be handled and applied to the world and to ourselves. And Father, as we do this, I pray you be gracious to us. Allow our minds to keep up with your words here and allow our hearts and our actions to be affected by them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Point number one, see beyond the appearance of the teacher. All right, so in this passage, we see Jesus Christ is in the midst of a celebration. Remember, you go, to, go back to verses 1 to 14, you'll see that he's in the midst of a celebration called the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is a time when the Jewish old people and the New Testament back then would celebrate, um, uh, uh, I think, eight days in October or September sometime, would celebrate God's presence with them in the Old Testament. Remember the Old Testament, God's presence was in the temple? And now in the New Testament, they would make temples or booths right, Feast of Booths, to remind them of God's presence back then in the Old Testament, that God is here with us in this temple, and that they remind themselves of the sacrificial animals that are being killed so that people can uh, uh, commune with God in the temple, all these kind of rituals. The point is, let's celebrate God's presence among us. And in this feast, Jesus came to it, the presence of God came to it, and he started to have a dialogue with the Pharisees the teachers of this Old Testament law, who viewed God's laws through the lenses of a point system. So verse 15, we start with Jesus teaching in the temple. We see the Jews, or the Pharisees, therefore marveled after Jesus taught, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Now this isn't them being impressed by Jesus. This is a form of mockery. Remember, just 12 verses ago, they wanted to kill Jesus. And they still wanted to see Jesus dead. The tone wasn't, wow, how can this man know so much when he hasn't studied, when he hasn't had formal theological education? But it was rather this, wow, who does this man think he is? 
authoritatively teaching something that goes against the point system, that goes against what our formal theological education taught. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Now in verse 16, Jesus responds, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. My teaching is from him who sent me, which we read before this in the book of John, is the Father. God the Father sent God the Son. And therefore, his authority in these teachings go beyond their formal theological educations. I'm not dependent upon the credentials for my words to be authoritative because it is straight from the Father. Now, of course, I'm not saying formal theological education is bad. It is good. Gray and I went through formal theology education. Gray is about to go beyond the MDiv and, and, and um, uh, be doctor, have his doctorate. And we won't let anybody preach up here unless they have gone through some sort of formal theological education. Jesus is not saying formal theological education is bad. He's just saying the fact that someone has a piece of paper that says so-and-so graduated with the Master of Divinity from so-and-so university does not mean, is not a fail-proof guarantee that the content of their message is always biblical. The Pharisees had these credentials, right? They say, you don't have these credentials. Why is your teaching biblical? Where is your credentials from? You're, you're focusing too much on the credentials of the man, he's saying. You're deciding whether or not a teaching is authentic on, on the wrong place. You're focusing on the person's credentials. Look at verse 1 again. How is it that, what? This man has learning. The focus is the man. How is this man has learning when he's never studied? The final authority that decides whether or not a message is biblical isn't on the man's credentials or his lack of credentials. How can this man? But it's on the contents of the message. It's not, um, uh, it's not what the Pharisees said. J just look at this man. He's never been to seminary. What he says can't be credible. And what Jesus, uh, Jesus responds by taking it away from the man to the message. Let's look at his response in verse 16 to 17. It's about the teaching, my teaching. Verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Don't focus on the man. Focus on the content of my teaching. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether, what? The teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. We'll get back to this whole, if you are trying to do God's will, you'll, you'll see um, uh, whether or not my teaching is authority. But, but for now, just notice where Jesus took the realm of argument. Away from the credentials of the man. Don't be so focused on the man. Look at the content of the teaching itself. I'm not saying the man's credentials and the man's personality and character shouldn't affect or influence our listening to him at all. Of course it does. But we cannot make that the final authority of deciding whether or not the words that come out of his mouth is authoritative, is biblical. That is not the final authority. Don't overemphasize the credentials of the man to where we subjectively blind ourselves to the content of their message. One more time, I want to be very careful. I'm not saying we need to devalue formal theological education. It is very much needed. And, you know, I was talking to Gray this week, and I found this very interesting phenomenon. And you see more of this happening, especially in churches in Southeast Asia, um, where we're here making the same mistake that the Jews are making, but on the other side of the spectrum. 
You see the Jews in this passage making the mistake of overemphasizing, focusing on the man, saying that their credentials, how much credentials they have, therefore the more biblical they are, right? The focus is the man. More theological education, more biblical. Here in Southeast Asia, Indonesia included, I've noticed that we're at the other end of the spectrum. It's the person, uh, it's a person's formal, if, if the Jews back then put the person's formal theological education on a pedestal, what we do here is the opposite. We think if we have less formal theological education, somehow your words are more biblical. Have you noticed that? If, if, uh, there's a lot of places where if you haven't gone to seminary, your, your, your faith, therefore, has not yet been corrupted by your mind and by the dirty word, reasoning. Those who've gone to seminary, the man who's gone to seminary, who, who's studied the Bible theologically, that man, his faith has been dirtied by cognitive reasoning and by academia. So, therefore, because the man has credentials, because the man has gone through seminary, his words must not be as authoritative. You see, the focus, though, is still on the man. It's the same thing. On one end, the man has theological education, therefore his words must be right. On one end, says the man has no theological education, therefore his words must be right. The focus is still on the man. Jesus is saying, don't focus on the man. Whatever his credentials or lack of may be, look at the content of the message. And there's many versions of this, by the way. Um, uh, uh, perhaps it's not theological. Perhaps you judge some, the credibility of someone's message by their public teaching ability, right? Oh, he, he's very confident up there preaching. He's very funny. He's very engaging. And he's using the Bible. So surely what he's saying must be right, Right? Just look at the man. Or perhaps it's a successful Christian businessman. Wow, they're, they're successful. They look put together. They're bold in their personality. His teaching of the Bible must be right then. Right? Just, just look at the man. Or uh, he's, he's not that successful. He's not really that confident when he speaks. He's not really socially inept. Therefore, his thoughts and teachings of the Bible probably isn't that valuable and isn't that right. Just, just look at the man. You see, the focus is still on the man. Whatever version of this may be, the man, the man should never be the ultimate qualifying or disqualifying factor of whether or not the content of the teaching is right, whether or not it is in line with God's word and the scripture. Now, why does this matter? It is unbelievably important for us because you know what this idolatry of image has caused in the church? The church has given people authority to speak and handle God's laws at church and received it as good and right, even though the content of their message might not be in line with the Bible. We have put too much emphasis on the man and not on the content. Oh, he has theology education, so okay, everything he says is right. I'm not going to bother seeing whether or not this is in line with Scripture. Oh, he has no theology education, that's, therefore he hasn't been dirtied by reasoning. So therefore, whatever he says must be right. I'm not going to bother to check whether or not the content of his message is in line with Scripture. There's, we're so focused and entranced to the man 
that we have unchecked their message with scripture. This is what happened in Jesus' days. The Pharisaical schools mishandled God's laws. Their, their seminaries mishandled God's laws, but, but just because they had credentials, their words are authoritative. And, and you know what usually happens when, when we do this? The church often ends up presenting God's law to the world in a wrong light, in a wrong way. And you know what it's caused? It's caused many, many, many people to be hurt by the church. Because we've ended up presenting God's laws, usually what happens is we, we present God's laws in a way that it appears to be. It appears to be the point system. When you look at God's laws, at, at face value, it seems to be like it's a point system. You do this, you get points, you get to heaven. You don't do this, you don't get points, you don't get to heaven. At face value, that's what it sounds like. And people preach that and speak that. And that's how they handle God's laws. And that's how, they, that's how they apply it to people. And that's caused a lot of hurt. We must keep the message checked. Whether or not how this person is handling God's laws is in line with what the Bible says. And here is actually the way Jesus tells the church, tells us how to view and handle God's law. This is the content of what teachers of the Bible should be presenting, which I believe um, will cause us to see beyond the face value appearance of the law, which is what verse 24 is about. Don't judge appearance into a deeper understanding of what the law is about. What is God's heart behind the law? How are we supposed to present it and, and, and handle it to the world? Point number two. One is see beyond the appearance of the, uh, the teacher. Look at his content. Look at the message, whether or not he's handling God's laws right. Number two, what is God's law about? See beyond the appearance of the law. So really, most people think God's law is all about the point system, as we've said. I mean, at face value, that's what it seems to be about. That's how we end up handling God's law, including a lot of people at the church, which is what the Pharisees taught. And really, almost everyone does this. This is the thesis behind um, almost every single world religion, right? Do good, get to heaven. Do bad, be rejected from heaven. Even religions that don't um, worship the Old Testament God and the Old Testament laws, they think this way too. Live a good life and you'll be reincarnated to something better. It's a point system. Uh, or do good and by the standards of the universe, the universe will pay you back with good if you do good. That's what karma is all about. It's, it's a point system. And we've all been tempted to handle God's law as it seems in face value, as a point system. But in this text, in the next section of the text, as Jesus talks to the Pharisees, in a very skillful way, he tells us what it is God's laws is actually about. And it can get kind of iffy and tricky at the end of it, but hopefully we'll, we'll land at a spot where we can feel comfortable um, with Jesus' words, or, or at least understand what he's saying, okay? Jesus is saying, I know at face value the point system appears to be true, but it's not. And he says a lot here in just three sentences, so we've got to rack our minds to keep up a little bit. But let's look at verse 21 and 23. This is how Jesus responds. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the Father, he's talking about Abraham, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Okay, how does Jesus say we are called to handle God's law? First thing to point out, Jesus said, I did one work, and you marvel at it. What is this one work Jesus is referring to? In chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus broke the Sabbath. And what did he do? 
he healed a paralyzed man. Do you remember that? That's the thing that like got these Pharisees going. They're like, oh, he broke the Sabbath. And they just kind of badgered him. Right? I, I did one work. I healed one man on, on the Sabbath. And you guys went AWOL on me. You, you marvel at me for doing this one thing. Um, and keeping the Sabbath is the commandment number four in the list of Ten Commandments, where God did call his people to set apart one day and don't do any work and don't go through your weekly routines, but set it aside for the worship of God, congregationally, privately. That is true. But yet the Pharisees saw what Jesus did on the Sabbath day, on chapter 5, where he healed a man. And the Pharisees, who saw the Old Testament as a point system, saw that that was bad. You healed a man, that was bad. You lost points. And if, you, if we don't speak into this, you're going to encourage people to lose points. That, that's bad. Don't, don't do that. You're devaluing the Sabbath. And this is when Jesus turned their arguments against themselves. Very, very smart. Um, he's always smart. But in this one, particularly, I, I, I was um, excited to, to see what he was saying. So look at what he said here. Starting in verse 22. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying here, actually, guys, take a look at the circumcision law. You're, you're mad at me because I broke the Sabbath? Take a look at the circumcision law. You guys sometimes are forced to break the Sabbath too, aren't you? He's referring here to a situation when sometimes a child needs to be circumcised on the Sabbath day. When that was the case, the Jewish priest would allow the breaking of the Sabbath to circumcise the child. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just circumcise the child a day early or the day after the Sabbath? Because of the law uh, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10 to 12, God said, this is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you uh, shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. It's eight days old is emphasized again in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. So the letter of the law, the, the actual letters say, is very clear. A male child is born, they must be circumcised on the eighth day. Not the seventh, not the ninth, the eighth day. Now think about it. This law has put the Pharisees in a bit of a tricky situation, hasn't it? What if a child was born eight days before the Sabbath? And the eighth day that the child must be circumcised happens to land on the Sabbath day, when you're not supposed to do any work, when the Pharisees and the priests are supposed to rest. What do you do then? Well, in a situation like that, what the priests would end up doing is that they would perform the circumcision and break the Sabbath law because they deemed that the circumcision law is a greater and weightier law compared to the Sabbath law. Here's what Jesus is saying. Look, guys, when you look at the Old Testament laws in itself, if all you see is the point system, if all you see is that obey this law and I can get a few points, but if I break this law, I'm going to lose a few points, if you look at the laws with, with, with earning point lenses, it doesn't really work, doesn't it? Imagine the poor priest who was in charge of circumcising a child who was born eight days before the Sabbath. Darn it, Jimmy. Why you got to be born eight days before the Sabbath? Now I'm going to gain 20 points for circumcising you, but then I'm going to lose 18 points for breaking the Sabbath. Ah. Just look at the Old Testament laws. It, it doesn't work. The point system doesn't work. 
even through the Old Testament itself. If it's really about earning points, why would God put us in a position like, uh, 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 like this where earning points in obeying one law will cause us to lose points because I have to break another? That's what Jesus meant in verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If you actually try to do God's will, if you actually try to obey these Old Testament laws and look at it through these point systems, you're going to run into these problems. You're going to run into these problems where you do, try doing it. How, what do you do? Do you circumcise? Do you rest? What points? How are you going to go ahead and do If you actually do God's laws, you'll see. It's never, it was never about the point system. That was never the point. How do you explain that? Was God just not detailed enough? When he set the point system in place, did he miss this one detail? It's like, ah, sorry, guys, you just have to decide how to earn and lose points. Or is God some kind of cruel jokester who's playing with our eternal points by giving us these contradicting laws? No. It was never about points to begin with. What were the laws about then? How is the church meant to handle, live out, and teach the law to people? There are instructions of how man is supposed to relate with God and others. Others, the points, the laws were not means to earn points. The laws were instructions of how man is meant to relate with God and others. Look at the Ten Commandments. Do not worship other gods. Do not worship carved images. Don't use God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, which is setting aside a day to worship God. What are these things? These are instructions of how creatures are meant to relate with their creator in worship. It's, it's a relationship. That that's what the laws are about. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. What are those things? They're instructions of how you are meant to love your neighbor. It's but relationship. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then uh, look at verse 40 there. I think it's in the slide, uh, Matthew 22. Um, On these two commandments, loving God and loving others, depend all the law and the prophets. On loving God and loving others, that's the point of these laws. Not to earn spiritual points, but it's to love God and to love others. The focus, therefore, it's a slight switch, but we have, to, we have to know this, or else we're going to continue hurting people with the law. It's a slight switch, but it's saying, don't, don't do this and do that to get spiritual points, but do this and do that because that's what it means to love God and love others. So when you're being obedient to the heart of the law, it's not to get more points. When someone does something good for you, you should want their motivation of doing that good, not so that they can earn points, but because they love you. And when you do something good to other people, the motivation isn't I can get points, but the motivation is so I can love them. You see? It's totally different. It was never about earning points. It was about love and relationship with God and others. See, the act of obedience to the law isn't the end in itself. The end, the purpose of it is to love God and love others. The focus isn't, yes, points for me. I haven't stolen anything this week. No, it's, it's love that person. Don't steal from them. It's not you, it's them. It's not, I haven't murdered anybody. Yes, points this week. No, 
love them and don't murder them. <laughs> the, the focus is them. The focus is their well-being, loving them, not earning points. That's, that's what the law has been about. Love God, love others. On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. And, and if you think of the law that way, it helps us, it helps us uh, settle in our minds some of these complications that the church has gone through in the, uh, uh, in the past. A, a seminary professor of mine, of Christian ethics, um, said something, and it was pretty controversial. And I, I see how people can find this as controversial. I have no problem with it. I thought it was great. But he said, if you, if you view the law the way Jesus views the law. If you view the law as a means to love the other person, as a means to love God, not as a means to earn spiritual points. If that's how you view the law, it'll, it'll solve some of these classic problems that people think the Christian laws run into. You know these analogies. Probably some of you have heard them before. Somebody will come up and say something like this. If you lived in the Second World War and you were hiding Jews at your house from Nazis who want to murder them, and the Nazis came, and they say, are you hiding any Jews? And they have their guns, and they're ready to get them. What do you do? And the purpose of them asking that question is to catch you, to catch the Christian in a bind. Because on one end, if you lie, you break the ninth commandment, right? You lose points. But if you tell the truth, then you just helped a person be murdered unjustly. Do you lose points too, right? The purpose is to catch you in a bind. And my professor, without a flinch, said, in that situation, lie. He's like, did you just tell the seminary to break the fourth commandment? He said, in that situation, it's totally okay to lie. And I know I'm going to get in trouble later. Someone's going to say, Taser said it's okay to lie. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, we, let's, let's read between the lines here a little bit. We've got to develop the skill. Read between the lines a little bit. I'm not saying it's okay to lie. I'm saying look at the heart of the law. What is the ninth commandment all about? What is not lying all about? Don't lie. The heart of it isn't don't lie to earn points. It's don't lie because lying will hurt your neighbor. Lying will not be for the benefit and the well-being of your neighbor. The neighbor is the focus. Their well-being, their good, your love for them. Not just the act of obedience disconnected from the neighbor's well-being. And if that's the heart of the law of the ninth commandment, to love your neighbor, in a situation like the above, or in a situation like Jesus came through when it was Sabbath day and he saw somebody, a paralyzed man, if that's the heart of the law, what do you do? Oh, I, gotta, I can't lose points. I've got to tell the truth. Oh, they're in the basement. <laughs> no, dude, lie. <laughs> because in that situation, that's, that's the well-being of the neighbor. The focus is never about you earning points. The focus is the well-being of the labor, of, of, of your neighbor. Don't stick so much to the letter of the law and tell the Nazis the truth. Don't stick too harshly to the letter of the law and walk by the paralyzed man on a Sabbath day. Do what Jesus did. Help him. The purpose of the law is to love God and others. On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. And I know some of us are thinking this opens the gates for disobedience, and I can justify all kinds of disobedience from this. It does, and I can't control that if you, do, if you use it for that. But that's the heart of the law. Don't use it to justify disobedience, but don't be blinded from the heart either. 
If, if, and if you view the law as a point system, you know what will happen is you'll become more like a Pharisee. Your value system will be all out of whack. And that's what Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for in verse 23. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Remember, you circumcise people so that law of Moses, not, but you break the Sabbath to circumcise people. You're angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Really? Your value system is out of whack. You're so worried about keeping the Sabbath so strictly, you won't even let me heal somebody. You're focusing so much on the letter of the law to where it becomes all about the obedience to it and you miss the purpose of it, the well-being of others. And it's not like Jesus disrespected the whole Sabbath day. It's not like Jesus was telling people to, you know, not worship and just don't care about the Sabbath or the Lord's day. It's not like Jesus took all day to work and neglect rest and worship. The guy probably took five minutes out of his day to heal somebody who's been paralyzed for 38 years, John chapter 5, verse 5 says. He wasn't, dis he wasn't just disrespectful of the Sabbath. He took... <laughs> but the Pharisees didn't take any of that into consideration. They didn't bother to think about any of that. All they saw was, was he broke the Sabbath law. He didn't, they didn't bother thinking, what's the heart behind this? Was it still actually keeping to the heart of the law? Was it to destroy the Sabbath? Did he take all day to disregard the Sabbath? He didn't care, they didn't care about any of that. All he saw was they bro he broke a law. So the alarm sounded, and they started barking at him like watchdogs. He does enter the lake. And in that way, the church has done much damage to people. When we treat the law in that sense, all they know, a point was lost. And then the alarm sounded off, started barking at him like watchdogs. Sorry, this is a uh, signal from them that, that gets transferred back um, so, the church, us, we must repent from this. The world sees us as finger-wagging sticklers at the expense of people's well-being. And you know what? I can't blame them sometimes. Perhaps sometimes they're right. Perhaps we have become lazy, oversimplified the law, and just presented it to people as it appears to be, which is the point system. Verse 24, do not judge by appearance. We've become very strict about the person obeying the law, but neglectful when it actually comes to the well-being of the person in which this law is meant for. The heart of the law is not to be obeyed, disconnected from the true purpose, which is the other person's well-being. This is why Jesus was seemingly able to break the Sabbath law and heal somebody, yet the book of Hebrews said Jesus was sinless and never disobeyed. How was he sinless? Didn't he disobey the Sabbath law? He didn't. Because in his seemingly breaking of it, he actually fulfilled the heart of the Sabbath law, which is to love God and others. He had a correct view of the law. His value system was not out of whack. It was in order. And he said, it's no brainer for me to take five minutes out of my day to heal this man on the Sabbath. It's no brainer for me to lie to the knot. It's just, it's no brainer. Matthew 23, verse 23, a thing we fall into all the time. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You're so nitpicky about the 10% of your tithing of mint and dill and cumin. And, and you're, come to church at time. Do this. Do that. I'm all for coming to church at time. I'm all for tithing. I'm a pastor, of course. 
But what they did is they, they were so focused on that, and they neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So how can we train our minds to value the letter of the law and yet still know how to apply, I want to be careful with this, how to apply principled flexibility and not break the heart of the law because we're so rigid at obeying the letter of the law, yet at the same time not using this to justify just disobedience. How do we do that? Perhaps this is a helpful way to think about it. Instead of asking this question, instead of asking the question, how can I obey the law more? Let's tweak that question a little bit. Ask this. How can the law make me a better lover of God and others? Instead of making the focus, how can I obey this law more? Instead of making that the main focus, ask this instead. How can the law make me a better lover of God and others? If you ask that, hopefully you're not going to justify law-breaking, but you also won't hold on so strangely to tithing mint and cumin and dill, which are the letter of the law, to where you miss the heart of the law that is to love others. All right, so let's get to the last point. We've talked about how we're not to view God's laws as a point system and how that's dangerous and how if we do that, we're going to be tempted to be so strict about the letter of the law that we end up hurting people and miss the heart of the law and we'll pass on by the paralyzed man just to obey the Sabbath, right? But we haven't answered the question how it is that we can be freed from viewing God's laws through the lenses of a point system. Here's the thing, right? We all know we don't keep God's laws perfectly. I mean, we, we break it all the time, intentionally, unintentionally, in public, in closed doors. Um, and the Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short, Romans 3.23. So even the Bible says you fall short, I fall short. So it's so hard to know that when I fall short and when I break God's laws, it's so hard to not view my obedience to God's laws as a means to earn points, right? As a means to cover up my lack of points. It's really hard not to do that. But unless you're able to do that, you're never going to be able to see beyond the letter of the law into the heart of the law. You see what I'm saying? The only way you can really truly obey the heart of the law and love others and not hold on so strictly to the letter of the law is if you first realize the point system no longer applies to you. If you think the point system still applies to you, you're never going to let this go. You're going to hold on to this so strangely. Now, how, how can you be freed from the point system? Let's go on to our third point. See beyond the appearance of Jesus. Who was Jesus? Do not judge by mere appearance, he said in verse 24. Who might Jesus have appeared to be to the Pharisees? A mere human being right? A mere man. And again, this is probably how most people view Jesus, a good moral person, a religious leader, a mere man who we're meant to follow. But who is Jesus? He's no mere man. Throughout the whole book of John, who has he claimed to be? He's claimed to be God, the Son, who's come down in flesh. That's who he truly is, John chapter 1. He who is with God, God the Son, with God the Father, he, but yet was God, he's still God, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, came down and took upon flesh. What did he do? Why did he come down and take on flesh? What did the Bible said Jesus do? Why did he come down? Well, you see, he perfectly obeyed 
the law in flesh form. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fulfilled. He obeyed the law, and he did that. Now, the question is, why did Jesus obey the law? Why would God come down in flesh to fulfill the law as a human being? What's the point of that? Why did he do that? What motivated him to do that? Was it just so that he could prove he can obey the law? Was the acts of obedience to them the end to itself? Was it for, because he had this need to self-validate and prove to people and prove to the Father that I can do it? Was that, was that the end goal of his obedience? No. His obedience to the law was never just about the obedience in itself, disconnected from the heart of the law. How do we know that? How do we know what Jesus' purpose of, of, of obeying the law is? It's not to prove or earn moral points or anything like that, because think about what he did after he obeyed these laws. What did he do after he fulfilled these laws? He went ahead and climbed on a cross, didn't he? Now, why would he do that? He fulfilled the law, then he climbed on the cross. Why would he do that? The Bible says so he can save us, Colossians 2, 13 to 14. And you know, uh, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it on the cross. What happened on the cross, guys? On the cross, Jesus gave you the perfect record of his obedience. And he took upon himself our disobedience so that our record of debt can be done and away with by trusting in what he's done. What does this tell you? This should inform you. What does this tell you about what Jesus' motivation was to obeying the law? Why did he want to fulfill the law? Was it just for the sake of having it fulfilled? Was it just to store up personal moral points that he can self-validate or to prove to people that he can do it? To be vindicated? No. His motivation of fulfilling the law was what? It was you. It was to save you. He needed to obey the law perfectly so that he can die and love you and give you the record of that perfect obedience. His obedience to the law was never disconnected from the purpose of it, your well-being. You see? It was never just an act in itself. He did it for you. He obeyed the law perfectly as a man so that he can die in our place. His obedience to the letter of the law was for your well-being. Your salvation was the heart behind his obedience. Your well-being has never been disconnected to his obedience from day one. The purpose of fulfilling the law is so that he can give you the benefits of that righteousness. And now because this is where Christian salvation is found, is based upon, namely, you are saved because someone else obeyed the law for your well-being. Why do you then now obey the law? What, do you obey the law to store up personal spiritual points? No. You no longer have any debt, remember? It's done. It's washed away. You don't have to earn any points. Is it for the sake of proving to people or proving to God that you can do it? No, you don't need to prove yourself to anyone anymore. You're vindicated. Vindicated is you're in a courtroom and, and you're vindicated, approved, loved, cherished, mine. 
And we every day walk life as if we're in a courtroom, don't we? As if the gavel hasn't been hit. We need to prove ourselves. We need to vindicate ourselves. We, that's why we obey the law sometimes. You say, no, you're, in, you're not in that courtroom anymore. You're vindicated. Rest. So now you can obey the law, not to earn points, not to vindicate yourself, but why? Because that's what it means to love God and love others. The heart of the law. And if this is the main reason of your obedience, not to earn points, not to self-vindicate, if your purpose of obedience is to love God and love others, you will slowly find your value system recalibrating to how it's supposed to be. And, and know how to do what Jesus did here in this passage. Know, know how to navigate through that. The letter of the law is to not break the Sabbath, but the heart of the law is to love this person and heal them, although it might seem like I'm breaking the Sabbath. That whole thing, that's hard to navigate through when you're in situations like that. I, I'm, let me be careful, but I'm going to call that a sanctified gut feeling. When you obey the law for the love of others and for the love of God, not to just earn points and be vindicated, you're going to cultivate a sanctified, God-glorifying, other people-loving gut feeling. And you're going to know how to navigate through those situations. And you're not going to end up hurting people because you hold so strictly the letter of the law. Have principled flexibility. Sometimes... It might feel like I'm breaking the letter of the law, I'm breaking the Sabbath for healing this guy, but oftentimes you're actually fulfilling the heart of the law. I'm tempted to keep talking more because I'm scared you guys are hearing me say it's okay to break the law and it's okay to sin. That's not what I'm saying. So, So please be with me here and read between the lines a little bit. Okay? And of course, we as a church must not justify sin and disobedience, but guys, we gotta grow in this. We gotta grow in cultivating the sanctified gut feeling. We gotta grow in seeing the heart behind the letter of the law so that we know how to do this well and stop hurting people like we've done because we've hold so strictly to the letter of the law. All right, let's summarize and connect everything and then we'll end. Point one, we must not be so mesmerized by one's credentials that we don't put the content of their message in check Teachers of the law, teachers of the Bible must handle God's laws properly. Point number two, what does that look like? Uh, uh, This looks like not presenting the law as a point system. It looks like not making the obedience to the letter of the law the end goal in itself. But the end goal of obedience is so that you can love others and love God. We're called to have principled flexibility, a sanctified gut, yet with integrity not break, not use that to break laws. Just break laws out of nowhere, okay? So and that's how we're supposed to teach to others, apply the law to others, and you might be put in a situation in the future where you're going to be, you're going to have to choose. Figure out the situation, be critical about your heart and motivations, look at the letter of the law, look at the heart of the law, and make a call. And I hope when you do so, it is for the love and benefit of the others. Point number three, you will never be able to do this unless you're freed from the point system. And you'll never be free from the point system unless you see that you're saved through Jesus' obedience. And his obedience to the law was never an end goal to itself, but it has always been for you. He didn't just obey to prove he can or store up righteous points, he obeyed for you. Now, last two things. You may be sitting here today 
and you're still exploring the gospel. You're still exploring what Christianity, what the Bible is all about. And perhaps you know people who's been hurt by the church in this way. Or maybe you've personally been hurt by the church in this way. Because Christians in the church have become pharisaical and handled the law in a way that has caused you to feel that way or your loved ones to feel that way. If that's the case, I'm very sorry. That shouldn't have been the case. And I hope that you would continue to explore the gospel and God's laws and not let that taste be the defining taste of what you think of when you think of church and when you think of Christians. It should be mercy, kindness, gentleness, grace, humility, the weightier things of the law. And I hope that's what you see when you interact with the church and Christians in the future. Or if you are here and today you are a Christian, remember the gospel. Remember why it was Jesus obeyed the law. It was for you, that you may be saved. His obedience was not disconnected for his love for you. It was because he loves you. Go now and do the same. As redeemed people who do not need to obey to earn points anymore because of his cross, go now and obey driven by the love of God and love of others. Let's pray.